I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, a podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which we deep dive into the lives of some of our best-known chefs. From their first memories of food to hitting the big time, we cover it all, hopefully giving you a bit of inspiration to improve your skills in the kitchen along the way. Now, amongst those who've already joined me on the podcast, Tom Kerry, Jason Atherton, Nadia Hussain and Paul Ainsworth. But today, we're grilling Nisha Katona. Nisha grew up in Lancashire and initially pursued a career in law, working for 20 years as a barrister in child protection on the Northern Circuit. Then, in 2014, she scratched a nagging itch to open her own restaurant, and Mowgli Street Food was born. She hasn't looked back since, opening restaurants up and down the country, writing books, making numerous media appearances, and getting an MBE to boot. Despite all of that, I still love her. So welcome, Nisha. Now, you and I have known each other for a long time. So before we get into you being a barrister, you being a restaurateur, you being an influence to women, women of colour, etc., etc., let's talk about your mum. <laughs> You're hilarious. Because <laughs> one of the first times I met you, we were both doing demos at um, Liverpool Food and Drink Festival, and your mum sat in the front row. And I've never seen, in all the time I've known you, I've never seen you look nervous. <laughs> Because she rules the roof still. She does. She and she heckles. Honestly, yesterday I did I did Master Chef and I was on, and then so it finished ten o'clock. I got the phone call bollocking me basically because why did I give Bez? He's a lovely man. Why did you give him jalebis to do? What were you thinking? Why would you do that? You want him to fail, you know? Honestly, so I got I took a screenshot of her just literally bollocking me for ten minutes. <laughs> She's just great, you know. But the whole thing about family, I know, is massively important to you with 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 your own family. Was that your upbringing, that, you know, family is is king, queen? Yeah, it's not only, I'll tell you the weird thing, Simon, this, I think, comes from just understanding what it is to be an immigrant. So I didn't have family. You come over here stripped of anything, stripped, sorry, it's voluntary, isn't it? My parents came over, what, in 1968, something like that. And your family becomes those scammers and the Ormskirt people around you, the ones that are taught to you, frankly. Honestly, so because you don't have any family here. So you, I think this is the thing about Indians and about us and about immigrants and about food is you honestly just want people to like you. And the way that you can do it, because, you know, we are facial hair and brown corduroy pants. We were not people that you would want to hang out with. The only thing we had was garam masala. So you would just <laughs> cook the hell out of your house and invite people. Just basically you beg your neighbours to come over, just come and try our food. So it wasn't really about family in that way. Something. It's about it's about the people that are in your house. And and then, yes, it develops into family because then, you know, we, me and my brother have got kids or whatever. You know what I mean? So suddenly we've got these people around us, yeah. Where? What made your mum and dad come over originally? They, well, my dad was a, a socialist, actually. So they're both doctors in India. They were both doctors in India. My father was in prison for his socialist views at one point. So he was a really cool wow. guy. Yeah, amazing. And he hated the corruption in the Indian health system. And that's why he wanted to come over to the British health system because it was non-corrupt and it was nigh Bevan and it was the NHS and all of this egalitarian. That he he's really into that. Obviously, makes yeah. sense. So, and what would happen in those days is is Enoch Powell, who then went on to become this beast, was inviting Indians over, saying, "Come to England. We need Indian doctors." So Indians at that point came over, and they would go to the towns that no white doctor would go to. So that's why you get these this proliferation of these Indian you know doctors and their families in. You know, some of the towns in, the, you know, some of those really yeah. run down, those poorer areas in the north. And that's what happened is we came over like that. Because um, you were in Ormskirk. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, Ormskirk is kind of, it's in that hinterland between sort of Liverpool and Southport. I, sorry to people of Ormskirk. I don't mean to, to be rude. It is a sleepy town where, with no particular history. Yeah, it's got a good uh, kebab shop and a nice hospital. I'll tell you what Ormskirk <laughs> is to me. Honestly, I kid you not. It's really posh because I actually was raised in Skem, which is very different. Skem, New Skem was the spillover from Liverpool. So yeah. It was this new town that was created and that's where my parents came to be doctors. And so that was truly home. We dreamt, we dreamt of a semi-detached in Ormskirk, kid you not. So I, I was born in Ormskirk Hospital because that, that was the... I didn't know you lived in Skem because, I mean, yeah. Skem is a, it, it is that typical kind of overspilled town of social housing that really just always seems to be full of conflict it, it was in the way that many areas you know i mean if you look at certain areas of liverpool it was the, it was the same you know it was it was a, a troubled place you know and it's a place of paucity but in that typical sort of liverpool northern working class town way when they embrace you you are totally family so for me 
I was out on my chopper with my brother. You know, we would just be cycling. I wasn't allowed a chopper. Well, he had the chopper. I had a budgie. What did you have? Uh, uh, I just had a, a, a generic kind of like bike. My mum and dad thought choppers were dangerous. They were dangerous. They they full of attitude. Yeah. Choppers are like the James Dean, aren't they, of the, of the yeah, bike world? I, I wasn't yeah. allowed one. It still kind of hurts a little bit when I see, like, you know, a Mark 1 chopper driving around. Yeah. With a big, I still think it could have been me. With a big back, yeah. Anyway. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, Skem, Skem was a, a tricky place. So, I, you know, some of my, and, and, and it's worth just talking about this, you know, my earliest memories were of being firebombed and things like that. My mother used to be stoned in the street by the very people she would treat as patients. That was just Britain in the 1970s. Honestly, that was when you got this immigration. People thought, oh, hang on. This is freaking me out. And that was their reaction to us. How do you cope with something like that, Nish? You spend your childhood with your head kind of down. Honestly, this is what makes you really want people to like you. Honestly, it's not a small thing that I've now gone into hospitality, is it? You know, I build restaurants because I still go and eat in them every single day and watch those faces thinking, I cannot believe you are eating my food. You're coming to where I am and eating my food. It's so what? How you deal with it is it becomes it, it's background noise. If those are your earliest memories, you've known nothing else. Of course, and, your life is your life. Yeah, and you've got to just work hard to get people to like you and to see that. And this is a really weird thing for me, Sam. Because look, I'm you know I'm brown. I look like this, but I talk like this. You know, and people just think, well, well, I can't work that thing out. But you're still judged because you are essentially you've got brown skin. This still happen now. Um, it happened. I tell you what, when I when I first went to the bar, first became a barrister. I I did work experience. I tell a lie. It was a mini pupilage where you go and attach yourself to a barrister in a set of chambers. And the head of chambers, this is nineteen ninety five. Head of chambers sent a note down to my pupil mistress saying, "Tell your pupil not to bother coming back tomorrow because she's an Asian female and there is no place for an Asian female at the bar." Wow. So I was the first. And what year is that? Ninety five. 1995, you writing that down. Yeah, that's, that's, but I have to say, in, in a cr- really strange way, Simon. So, yeah, it, my, my, my childhood was punctuated and chartered by you not fitting in and you being made to feel, you know, my brother would be beaten up. You know what I mean? Um, but then it's a funny thing. Then people get to know you and they become your, they become family to you. You yeah. know what I mean? So we weren't in an Asian area, and I really credit my parents for not doing that. They didn't choose to go where all the other Indians are. They came to an entirely white area, and we integrated, and we fed people, and we integrated in that way. You know, So 1995, yes, that, that reared its head but by that particular head of chambers, but to me and, and you know, to my family, England is one of the most embracing countries that I've ever been to. I always think that. I mean, you know, for all that, you know, there's there's some hideous kind of things that happen in the UK. But I think as as a general rule, I do feel that. I do feel that, you know, we, we... we embrace, in the main, we embrace multiculturalism on on many many levels, and I and I love the fact that we do that. And you know, and I hate it when people slide Britain off. And yes, of course, you can highlight kind of hideous kind of racist attitude, sexist attitude, but that happens all over the world. And it doesn't make it right that it happens in the UK. But I think in the main, we are a, a very multicultural society, and and enjoy the fact that we are as well. Yeah, I do think it's the least. I have to say, and my brother would say the same thing. It's the sort of least racist country that we've been to, and you know that is not. You look at the fact that you have Indian restaurants on every street corner. You yeah. look at the fact that chicken tikka masala was the number one dish of this country. There is a real acceptance on, you know, there is a, a, a yielding on the part of the Brits. And it might be, it might be because of the empire. It might be because of the empire because you rule the globe. We, you, whoever, I'm not quite sure, but we rule the globe, <laughs> you know, half the globe for so long that there is this proprietorial sense when it comes around, you know, to the world that, you know, Indian yeah. food is like, it's, maybe it's your food. You, there's no chip on the British shoulder, I think, in that way. Yeah. In the way that we haven't penetrated France or Europe or America. Indian food just isn't there, you know, because it's too other. Whereas here, we are you. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like me and my generation below below me who are, you know, brown and tall like this and, eat, yeah. you know, pie and chips and whatever, born in Ormskirk, are, you know, we're the embodiment of what Britain is now, which is amazing, really. That's lovely. Yeah. All right, so let, let's talk Let's talk food then when you were young. So you sort of say, like, you know, that you, came, you had garam masala to offer. <laughs> so, so, so food at home, did you embrace the whole kind of traditional kind of Indian food? Is that, that what you did? Or because of your desire to be liked, were you pie chips and fish fingers? Yeah. 
you know, it's it's a it's a complete need. Indian food to Indians is not it's not a choice. They need it in the way that your nan might need scouse and cabbage, whatever. You know, <laughs> my mum and dad they need they. My mum can't. You know, she can't go to the loo unless she's eating Indian food and four chapatis. <laughs> that was a bit too much information. <laughs> Edit that out. Don't bother editing it out. It's true though. Indians are obsessed with their bowels. You gotta have chapatis. <laughs> I'm just digging myself. What did your deep. patties do for your bowels? Well, the brown, the brown bread, aren't they, Simon? It's like tuna jute bag. <laughs> they run a road right through you. <laughs> but it is. In your oven nervous disposition, it may be time to kind of fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, is that so your body needs it and you need chilli and you need spices. Your, your yeah. physiologist needs it anyway. So... Every night we'd have a complete Indian banquet. That was just what I, and I hated Indian food. I hated Indian food. Why? Because I'm Indian. Because I was born here, and you'd go to other like English friends' houses, and they'd have like lamb chops and mashed pota- potato that has just been mashed. Yeah, potato that has not been beggared to death with cumin or whatever and turmeric. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just mashed with milk and butter. But you know, for God's sake, that is gorgeous. Sausage, mashed bacon, all of that. No concept of that in India. So what my mum would do, she'd try to fit in. So when my mates had come around from school, she'd get those Finder's Crispy Pancakes. I can say this on your podcast. Yeah, you can. Yeah. She'd flip them open, a little bit of tandoori masala, and shut the blighters back up. And so, (laughs) you know what I mean? Pot noodles, flip the lid open, a little bit of garam masala. There is nothing that she wouldn't absolutely bugger with spices. So she tried to fit in. And for a kid... Who, you know, you didn't want to be Indian. Remember, you were being skittered for being brown. So the last thing you want to do is smell and taste brown as well. You know, (laughs) so you'd bring people home and just pray that she hadn't meddled with it. But she'd always meddled with it. Chips. And this is the irony is these are the very dishes I'm putting on the Mogi menu because they are unbelievable. Chips. You couldn't just make chips. You'd have to rub them with a bit of turmeric, maybe a bit of fenugreek. So you end up with these bright yellow chips, you know. And at first, the friends that came home wouldn't eat it because, honestly, there was this real phobia of foreign food. They'd be bringing their own little hambaps over. The mums would have packed them because, heaven forbid, they'd eat the voodoo stuff that we served. And then they started to taste it. And then they became addicted. And then, pe- honestly, our house was like a literally, it was like a it was like Woodstock. People, kids just moved in. <laughs> it is, you'd wake up and there'd be about eight teens on the yeah. floor. My parents were really laid up back in that way. You know, my dad would be offering them whiskey and God knows. <laughs> but, but, but it's funny, isn't it? Because round then, you know, I, I recall my mum and dad would go for a curry with their mates. And that, I mean, you know, it's been parodied so many times that the thing was to eat the hottest thing you possibly could <laughs> because it was the whole thing because we we weren't used to eating spices. So you go, well, if I'm going to do it, and particularly as a blokey thing, mm-hmm. then the bloke would have to go vindaloo or foul because otherwise you weren't really kind of doing it justice. Mm-hmm. Crazy, isn't it? Because yeah. we don't. Well, in fairness, Indians, chili's a weird thing. The hotter the country, the more they eat chili because what it does is it increases your vasodilation and you sweat more. So you cool down. So chilies naturally are in the diet because it's actually good for you in the heat. It's, but it doesn't make any sense, does it, in our heads to think that? So. No, it but does. It, I like that. I, yeah, I really it, it like that. It does make sense. Yeah. And what does make sense, she says now. But the truth is, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's actually causing vasodilation and, and, you know, sweating. So that's why food in the East, and if you go to Africa, they've got chilies in their food, you know, Sichuan food, hot, because you need to sweat. Here you are, right? And this is what I find so interesting about curry and my world, my life in the world of curry, is it's quite a male thing. It's quite a masculine, swaggering trophy dish, isn't it? It's a funny thing, you know, so many of my followers on Twitter will be blokes who want to get a big trophy curry under the belt. You know what I mean? And, I don't and think they this. follow you for that. Niche. That's totally why they follow me. <laughs> that is totally, I promise you, why they follow me. Yeah, Honestly, the yeah. only questions I get, how much chilli in that vindaloo, do you know? The only questions. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, that is the truth. Yeah, I can, no, it is. It's it's just the swaggering me thing that they want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So so that so that's kind of upbringing. So mum and dad are doctors. So you end up going to study law. Again, I don't want to sound kind of cliched about it, but when we had Ashul Kutcher on, he was saying that his parents were really disappointed when he was doing hospitality because they wanted him to either be a doctor or to be a lawyer. Mm. So was there almost a, a cultural pressure oh, from home? Sorry, to be a doctor or a lawyer, it's not even a question. You are so imbued with it, honestly, Simon, that you, from the minute you're born, can I tell you, honestly, so what happens is you, your parents are doctors, 
before you can speak, you're going into surgery with them. You're watching them work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all you know. It's like if you work in a chippy and you come from a chippy dynasty, that is what you know. There's yeah. no indignity in any I like of it. that expression, chippy dynasty. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, chippy That's a great dynasty to be yeah. part of. My best mate was in the chippy dynasty. And, um, but, but it's just all you know. So it's a funny thing. So I've got a daughter now. So my parents doctors i just want to go back to chippy yeah. dynasty because it's yeah. made me think that you know what you and i should do we should write a, a soap opera that's kind of based around kind of the ewings and and uh, dynasty <laughs> but we call it chippy dynasty and it's based at ormskirk <laughs> i think, cool. I think yeah. there's a there's a hell of a soap opera that we can that we can do there i can see the wardrobe now i, I can now the wardrobe department. I'm, just, I'm just liking it a lot <laughs> anyway so go on to- yeah. <laughs> no but it's interesting because you know my so when you watch your parents at their work it's it's quite a natural thing to think, okay, I quite fancy doing that. Yeah. You know, because we loved my mum and dad's patients. They became like family to us. You know, it's a really close-knit community in Skem. So why would you not want to do medicine, you know? And it's a, it's a great job to do. So my brother became a doctor and I frankly wasn't clever enough. So I went on to oh, be a I swear down. I swear down because you've got to be so good at maths. You've got to be so good at maths and that's not my forte. So I did physics, chemistry and maths or whatever and got some grades that you could spell a name out with. I actually also got my first boyfriend at this, so I wasn't allowed to go out. Oh, God, I'm really getting deep. I wasn't allowed to no, go, go out. No, go on, go on. Like, this is, so this is getting really interesting. So the, the thing is, you're racist, isn't it? So we set the scene. We're, so, uh, yeah. We've just come out of the chippy. You come out chippy. <laughs> you come out chippy. <laughs> you're there, and you should <laughs> you be sitting your skirt down to your knees, so yeah. there's no longer a miniskirt. Yeah. And um, so what I was raised, the way that I was raised was, re- it's a, in the way that we were also a commune, so all my mates would just stay in our house, literally live in the house, sleep on the floor, whatever. Yeah. And my mum would always say, I don't want you to have a boyfriend until you are in medical school. Get that. That's from the age of 11. Right. You don't have a boyfriend until you're in medical school. And then I got to the age of 17 and and I met someone at college and I wasn't allowed to see Are we allowed him. to say what his name is? Can we can we set the scene? Can we his name make is him David. a character? His name is David. Okay, we'll call him David. Love, and he was like the Jim Morrison of college. Okay. Do you know what I mean? He was a yeah. really kind of cool, edgy guy. And... Um, he smoked, he had the earring, all of that. You know what I mean? You surely could never was... have introduced him to your parents. Well, do you know what's so interesting? My God, this is really completely all, um, what do you call it? Your life on the table. So um, total disinhibition. Yeah. Disinhibition now. So he was a bit of a wild guy. And because I wasn't allowed to see him, what i do is I'd go to college, get into his car, and we'd beggar off to the Lake District. So I was an A-star student up to the age of 17, and then totally missed college just so that, and but it's a lesson to me because now you know the way that you raise kids is just I would rather know everything and not yeah yeah yeah. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so what happened then? I went out with him for seven years. So I've only been out with two people in my life, and I married the second one. How Bless clean you. living am I? Bless <laughs> you. Good, How cute it? is That's that? That's cute, isn't it? So yeah. seven years I was with him, and yeah. I introduced him to my parents under a different name, so they knew that. Wait, wait, wait. hang on, hang on, yeah. hang on. Right, so so you were a straight A student, then then David comes on the yeah, scene, yeah. earring Jim Morrison. Yeah. What kind of car did you drive? He drove he drove a Datsun Cherry. Did he? Yeah, Datsun Cherry. It was a bluey grey Datsun Cherry. Okay, I know, it. I know exactly. You know which color. one it is? Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. in a Ford Escort. Right, okay. A cream Ford Escort. My brother chose the colour of that. So we go off and he's that's and show it. He was very proud of that. Okay. Right. So so you're a straight A student, then then David comes along and then and you sort of said, you know, then you then you lost your lost your way so much that you couldn't go to university yeah, that you had to reset. Yeah, okay, honestly, right, okay. Honestly, right, okay. So I resat my head up like four times, honestly. And it's a really good it's a good story because look, you know, in the end you, I, I went to the bar and became a barrister and everything. Yeah. So second time so I was trying to get into medical school, failed. Did them again, went to Hubert College. Yeah, and instead in of studying yeah. there, me and my friend Jamie used to sit in Lilo Lil's Chippy and I had a full English breakfast and just stayed there all day. I was not a studier. Failed again, went and did psychology. And David is still on the scene at this David point as well. David was still on the scene for seven years until. David, you've got an London. awful lot to answer for. <laughs> he has, in a way. Yeah. He just, has. He, he, is, he still, is he still around? Do you know who he um, is? No, he yeah, is he still around? He's he. I'm sure he's around. I know he's around. Yeah. He's, he's somewhere. Ooh, living little a little really bit nice cagey life. then. No, no, he's. Re- I'm sure <laughs> he's living a really good life. Listening. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Flicking your hair behind him. Oh, David. <laughs> he was a lovely boy. So my parents adored him. I mean, they really adored him. He became well. That's like brilliant, isn't it? But, isn't and it? again, yeah. come back to you saying like you know you'd rather know with your kids. It turns out that you know yeah. judging a book by the cover. I mean, there's a, there's a whole theme across this for the whole of this episode because that's so much about what your life is about yeah. really all right so so you fail 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 when do you so when do you decide that it isn't going to be medicine that's going to be law because obviously as an indian daughter yeah. then you've got yeah. no choice really have yeah. you yeah well well kind of if you yeah, failed yeah. yeah if you failed yeah exactly student. and so what i tell you what as an indian 
daughter, as an Indian person growing up, you just think, okay, what you're raised to think, if you do not work really hard and get an amazing job, you will fall off the face of England. They will throw you out. That is how you're raised. I've got wow. a British passport. I was born here. I'm as, as white as you are. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yet that's in my head. I think if I don't work my ass off constantly, they will throw me out. That's so crazy, isn't it, Simon? Anyway, so I did psychology for a year and hated it. Absolutely hated at it. At uni? Changed at uni. Okay. Changed and did the law. Fell in Where did the you world. go to uni? I went to Liverpool Uni to yeah. do psychology. John Moores to do law. Yeah. And I remember doing, I was work experiencing in the summer and I delivered a brief to some chambers and I walked into this barrister's chamber. I didn't know what a barrister was. I absolutely, fe- it was one of those moments where the scales fall from your eyes. I fell in love with that wow. job really hard to the point where I pinched a piece of that pink brief tape, the ribbon that goes yeah. around. And that was my, my. You know, so why, what, ma- what made you fall in love with it? Um, I tell you what, it was the independence of it. So they were, barristers are actually quite a sort of left wing, free thinking group of people because you're self-employed. Yeah. You know, you you, yeah. you um you don't have a boss at all. You're just a group of people who get together. And the kind of work that you do, you know, I did crime, you do child protection, you are working with people at the lowest point of their lives in some of the poorest areas of the country. And that is a real, I mean, it is an honour, isn't it? You yeah. are their voice piece. That is an incredible thing. You're preventing children from being separated from parents or, you know, involved in the whole of that kind of thing. And, yeah. and seeing where lives start to curdle what it is that makes someone choose the kind of life that we, we wouldn't choose necessarily yeah and it makes you very sympathetic to it you makes you understand it so you do law and then because i because i'm i was never remotely clever enough to even go down that kind of route so you what's the process then from becoming a lawyer to then becoming a barrister so you do three years of a law degree okay then you go and you do a year at bar school so i had to come and live at lincoln's inn then i had to come and live in london you joined one of the four inns of courts lincoln's yeah. inn gray's inn inner temple middle temple i joined lincoln's inn yeah you live here the way you become a, den- a, <laughs> a doctor where is my head a barrister <laughs> is you have to dine 40 times that was the old way of doing it so you would dine in the hall in lincoln's inn 40 times sitting next to whoever it might be a judge it might be another barrister and you would learn the law that way that was the traditional way of doing it and you still had to dine when it when i was doing it i think we had to dine 30 times so you had to live in london it's changed now so i lived in london that's yeah. where i met my husband yeah um so i lived in in a fantastic hall of residence and um so you do a year of that then you do a year of pupillage pupillage is where you're an apprentice to a barrister you literally for the first six months you sit behind them and watch them you're robed by that stage you sit behind them and watch them and then after six months you are then on your feet they call okay. it and you do your first case and then you become a tenant so it's how terrifying years. is that yeah, that's really terror. You know, and that, actually, to be honest, that that terror never goes. And they do say that the day you stop being frightened is the day you should hang up your wig. There is something about the way that, and I think this is why you can segue into TV quite nicely because there is something about the terror for a barrister that makes you speak better. I think okay. it sharpens you because it's a way. performance as well, isn't it? The, totally, yeah. Performance, yeah. It's totally. It is a performance, but what I love about it, and I think this is the thing, is that you are not talking about your own life. You know, like here, I'm talking mm-hmm. about me. It's an unusual thing because for 20 years, it doesn't matter who you are. You are just a voice piece. To, you are there to articulate your cli- lay client's case. Yeah. And so you, you're just completely anodyne. You're this empty thing that delivers. And, and you know, so it's quite easy in that because you're talking about someone else's life. Yeah, and you worked in child protection. That was your yeah. That was my passion. So that was for the last fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. So for five years, you do crime. You you, you can do less damage in crime, to be honest, than you can in child protection. Because child protection must be a very harrowing one. Yeah, to totally. do on both sides. It's harrowing completely. That's absolutely right. Because by the time you reach threshold to trigger a child protection case, that's significant harm. It's sexual, emotional, educational, physical, whatever it is. It's it's really significant harm. And what's awful about it is you can't tell any, the images that you have in your head, the things that you know these kids have been through, you can't even tell your husband or the person that you're with because you don't want them to have that image in their head. You don't want that. But what barristers do, and any barrister will tell you this, and it is a remarkable thing, is that the minute you have finished that case, it's almost as though you can't remember it. It comes out of your ear yeah. and the next quick case comes in. Yeah, I've got a few friends it. who are barristers, aside, aside from you, and they say exactly that, that, you know, you have to let it go. Yeah, you let it go. And do you know what I do love about it? In, in, in 20 years of practice, you know, I don't ever feel conflicted because I feel as though 
as a barrister, you're there as sort of an officer of the court. You are there to do the best for that child. Now, that might involve the child being removed from the parent or to stay with the parent. Whatever it is, you are there to do the best. That's what everyone in the system is focused on, is what is the best for that yeah. child, whether you represent the perpetrators or not. You know, it, it's... What, and, what's and the most helps. frustrating thing about being a barrister? Because I would imagine that, you know, the law is is there to be fair and equal. But equally, there's a lot of kind of stumbling blocks that must be difficult to, to say, oh, I know that this isn't the situation, but the law won't allow me to kind of do that. I have to say, do you know what I love about the law is that actually I haven't found it frustrating. So in about 20 years of practice, there's only been about three times where I thought, oh, that wasn't a great result. Right. It wasn't the right result, sorry. You know what I mean? So bear in mind, what's great about the law is it's 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 moved by case law. So it's moved by humanity and what humanity's doing. So. Yeah. You know, if in fact it becomes the norm to put 15 piercings in a baby's ear, then the law will change to reflect what is reasonable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's always got flex in it. The other really good thing about the law is that the people that are making the decisions in the kind of cases that I did, I'm talking about juries here, I'm talking about judges yeah. in family law cases, are like me and you, are like me and, a, you know, Joe Bloggs on the street, people who have lived life yeah. and kind of know what's reasonable or not. Do you know, that? so so it's really interesting. It's It's governed and it is... Um, dispensed by pe- people who who we kind of understand, you yeah. know. So it's not this the, these tomes and these books and these structures that don't allow people to be, you know, reasonable decisions to be made. Yeah. I I I find the the law a very encouraging place in that way. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it for twenty years. Honestly, I feel for twenty years I didn't work a day in my life as a barrister. I loved it. Ah, I mean, that's a, that's a really great thing to say. Well, that then I'm I'm gonna set up the second half of this before we do kind of our little barbecue thing. What was the moment when you decided, I am going to stop doing this? Do you want the answer to that now? I want a little teaser. Think of it as an EastEnders moment. We're going to go duff, duff, doof, duff in a doof, minute. Doof, yeah. Doof, 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 so, doof. Right, are you ready? Yes. I wrote to Jamie Oliver's agent and got a response within five minutes. That made, that kicked a door open in my life that I was not expecting. Wow, that is a good duff 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 moment. Doof, We've tried to get him on the doof, doof, podcast. He's not even replied yet. So he's too big. Should have got, should have got you to kind of send <laughs> it. Oh, right, so so um, <laughs> let, let's go into our little middle part. So we, this is now where we do we ask, we ask our guests the same five questions every week, and what we call our barbecue and a. See what we're doing there. Okay, right. So do your barbecue first and foremost. I love a barbecue. I've just bought one of those. I knew you uh, would. Yeah, a big uh, one with a dome on. Yeah, I knew you would. All right. So so let's go then. Favorite barbecue memory. My God, do you know what? Here's the thing. So barbecuing for me is Luang Prabang, do you know, in Laos. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't even in my own house, but the night market's there. It's I, I, I'm just thinking of this now because it takes me straight back. Whenever I yeah. do the dream barbecue, it is these street markets where it is just barbecue after barbecue after barbecue, and it is whole fish, and it is ribs, and it's pork, mm. which is the best meat in the world. And they are, it's that kind of Cambodian, Laotian, sweet, um, sweet barbecue spiced rubs on all of these things. Lovely. But the flavours, Simon, and the fit, the night air filled with the smoke of barbecue, you know, that that thing that resonates. There's this lovely, can I just tell you, there's this thing. Tell, in, tell in, me whatever you want. This is, this is, this is a really, podcast. I we're, love not, this we're not going to a commercial break. <laughs> or just got a six minute amazing. interview before I have to kind of like go to drinky poos. We can do whatever you want. It's just, you know, I, there's something just so incredible, isn't there, about the smell of that, uh, yes. of, of roasted meat. And there's this bit in the Old Testament. I remember reading it thinking, that is so cool. And it was, it was God. And I think, I don't know, Adam was, I think mankind had been vegetarian. And Adam was barbecuing his first meat. Something, he was cooking meat. And God came to the garden and smelt the aroma of meat and then made this promise. It might have been Noah. It was one of these guys with a big beard <laughs> and a big flowing robe. You know what? And he For made... a barrister, that's a really terrible bit of memory, it's isn't a it? Terrible it's a terrible st- it has got a great memory. It might, it might have been God. It might have been Noah. It was Noah. It might have I been the bloke that Noah. I met in the pub last week. But it week. was something about God smelt the aroma <laughs> of the cooking meat and made a promise to mankind that he would never leave them again and put the rainbow in the sky. And it was just a really sweet moment. It's that smell of roasting meat to humans is so incredible. It's spiritual, Beautiful. isn't it? Yeah, that's how Beautiful. strongly I feel about that. But I know what you mean. Any Anyone who's ever been to any form of night market, particularly, I think, in a, in a, in a foreign country, and the smells and the light and the sensations, and particularly if it's kind of a holiday thing. And I, I'm thinking now, because like I, I was in Barbados for New Year a few years ago, I'm in a, a similar kind of thing, just going to a night market. And it's made me tingle just that, that sensation, yeah. that smell, a cold beer and grilling meat and the lights and the smells and the... Mm. 
Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a very, very good yeah. uh, barbecue memory. Um, Favourite time of year for barbecuing? Do you know what? I would say, I was... And you know, my instinct is to say summer, but the truth is, it's spring coming in summer. Well, I can't, st- I can't stand insects. Can't be dealing with wasps. Yeah, I can't be doing it with it. T- I love heat, but I like to be lying on a beach in a bikini Same. when it's hot. Do you know what I mean? I well, not in a bikini. Well, not I have a mankini. A mankini. Yeah, exactly. I'd wear a mankini. Yeah, but um, you know that I can do heat there, but we have to wear clothes, and you're in England. I don't like the heat. Yeah, I'm so. Yeah, are you the same? Yeah. So coming into summer, where you're not having to fight with insects, it's just about warm enough to stay outside, so you don't have to do too much washing up and cleaning of tops. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just, but you're not. It's not cracking the flags. You don't want yeah. to crack in the flags. What about you? I, I like the winter. Um, I've become quite obsessed with winter barbecue. When I started working with Weber. They'd sent me all these images of people in kind of like in, in South Dakota in the winter with like four feet of snow barbecuing and thinking, that's mad. But the thing is, when you barbecue in the winter, there's more moisture in the air. So you have more moisture in your face, particularly if you're kind of cook, doing something low and slow. So it keeps it more moist. Um, and so you have that differential in kind of temperatures. And there's something very rewarding about being in the cold and then bringing in, I mean, there's something very primal about it that, you know, you've cooked a low and slow shoulder of lamb with loads of lovely spices on and you carry that in from the barbecue into the warmth of the house and that smell, all the smells we talked about before about being a night market in the summer, that you get those in the wintertime, but it, somehow it feels better. It feels like you've achieved something. You're like uh, DiCaprio in The Revenant then, aren't you? You're it's completely that. It's exactly what I am. It's exactly what I am. What's the most ambitious thing you've ever barbecued? Well, I'll tell you what, what is a tricky thing, but it's kind of worth it, is a whole celeriac but cooked like a gammon. So I did this for Kitchen Cabinet once and so if you get a celeriac, yeah. you know, big beautiful root yeah. vegetable that tastes of celery but sweet and potato and yeah. and you you slice oh gosh you slice the top of it in the way that you would a gammon yeah so you get that diamond ridgy kind of and then you you foil it and barbecue it low and slow it intensifies becomes sweet and then just towards the end you're going to glaze it with your honey and your maple oh, nice. and your smoked paprika because you want to bring that faux gammon smoke into it uh, a bit of garlic salt into that how long so does it take it. to get to so that is that about point. honestly on a, on a on a decent where you can really seal the top of yeah, it yeah. you know like a, a a good barbecue you're looking at about 40 minutes you it's it's a it's a long thing all in you're about an hour so it's a lot and that's why it is ambitious because it's not a couple of bangers and but that's you know, lovely it's really lovely so yeah it's, it's that alternative to and we shouldn't even say that. It's like it's that gammon hit, but what celeriac does, because celeriac reduces down beautifully. So you leave a bit of a vent in. Yeah. So the water comes out, the flavors intensify. You can, I know, because I can see mm. your eyes go, you know, you, you, celeriac's yeah. a clever ingredient, isn't it? And when you put the honey and the sweetness back yeah. into it and the smoke and the salt, and the, <laughs> fantastic. So that was ambitious and it worked and it's amazing. That's lovely. I'd also like to put um, some chipotle chilies in it. Mm, they're great. So yeah. when you're kind of roasting it, you get that tobacco-y kind of mm. smokiness to add to the barbecue smoke, would just be beautiful. And that with kind of honey is really nice as well. I love that. Pomegranate molasses would be nice, isn't it? They are yeah. sharp, aren't they? I use them so little, you know. Yeah. Me and my auntie keep buying them. Every time we go to Matters yeah. on Bowl Street, buy them. I'm yeah. going to do something with them. And they're so sharp. They look so beckoning, don't they? Yeah, beautiful. And they are shite. But yeah, they're, beautiful. they're just, it's tart, yeah. Nice. I like that a lot. Disasters. Disasters. Barbecue disasters. Well, actually, yeah, actually yeah. some people sort of have quoted other people's. I mean, what's bizarre is that the likes of Angela Hartner can tell many barbecue disasters of her own. You think she's one of the best chefs in Britain, without a shadow of doubt, but she thinks she's rubbish at barbecuing. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah, I, yeah it's a funny thing, you know, because I can't actually think. Do you know what I think is disastrous, and it happens a lot, is buying the wrong kind of fuel that burns out too quickly and then you've not got enough. That's as disastrous uh-huh. as it gets. It's not for me. I haven't got many barbecue disasters because, to be honest, Simon, I'd eat raw sausage. I don't give a t- <laughs> as long as as long as the beef can't get back upon its feet with a good vet. I'd eat it. Do you know Carry what on I mean? grilling with Nisha Katona. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, what really annoys me is where you've lit it too fast, then gone down the Asda, come back, and it's all gone, and you haven't got time to. You know yeah. what I mean? You've got the wrong kind of fuel. I need to invest in better fuel. The Asda. You see, there's two things. There's two things that people from Merseyside in particular say. They call Asda either the Asda or they pluralise it. It's either the Asda or Asdas. Asdas or Thasda. Yeah. What you yeah. Thasda. Yeah. That's that. That's the thing. So, uh, and any of it, maybe we need to kind of feature that in in uh, chippy dinners. Let's get it in chippy dinners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thasda. That'd be a set, yeah. an entire set. Yeah, we are, so. are going to write this. It'll, it'll be on. <laughs> it'll be on some obscure channels in the near future because Nisha yeah. will be able to get it. <laughs> 
commissioned because she knows everybody. Uh, all right, and then uh, if you had a, if if someone isn't a great barbecue, what would be your top tip for people to to barbecue? Do you know what I discovered and I quite like doing is you know any old herbs we've got in the mm-hmm. kitchen? So those Italian herbs you think yeah. I'm ever going to use those and they've gone off and whatever. Yeah. Just toss those into the flame. So when you're putting your meat on, toss them into the embers of the barbecue, shut it, and then you're going to get that nice. lovely permeation of the whatever it might be, dried origano. great idea. Dry, it's, it's rubbish dried oregano, isn't it? It's the best place for it is on a fire. Stick it on the fire. <laughs> get your pork chops. Do it dry. Fresh is amazing. Dried, can you be bothered? I don't mind dried. Don't you? I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind dried, if only for the fact that my mum puts it in her world-famous lasagna. Does so she think, put it in lasagna? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a bit of affection for dried oh, oregano. That's, that's where it's come from. Yeah. You put it with anything if you put it with that. Like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Do, do you get chance to barbecue a lot? I mean, the thing is, because I, I know that you're really, really busy, but equally I know that you you value your family life totally now. Right, you yeah. know, and I cook every yeah, yeah. I cook for my, yeah. And so do you barbecue with the family? So I barbecue a lot, yeah, because I tell you what, because I'm quite greedy and I love meat and it means that I don't have to wash the dishes for the oven. Yeah. That's the reason I do it. I do it, I do it pretty much almost every day if the weather allows it, honestly, in the summer. There's something very rewarding about barbecuing. Mm. Isn't there? I don't know what it is. Is it just that outdoor eating? Because that, yeah, that's, I think that as humans that we really, we get that. There is yeah. something primal, as you say about that. I love being outside. Mm. It's, it's such a nice thing. All right. Now we're on to our, our challenge. So every episode, we challenge our guests to create a dish for me. So you have 45 seconds. Yeah. And basically what happens is you can have any cut of meat, any cut of fish, any vegetables. You need to do some kind of rubble marinade and we need a side dish. The only thing is you only have 45 seconds to sell it. And you've got to sell it in a very, very upbeat way. It can't be matter of fact. It's got to be, yeah, Paul Ainsworth did it really well. Gokwan obviously did it incredibly well. Uh, Ken Hom did it very, very quickly, but it just felt like, well, it felt ethereal because it was Ken. So um, are you ready for our challenge? I fall between all of those stools. I'm not cl- yeah, I'm not yeah. Ken enough. I've got to actually get this right, haven't I? Yeah. Well, the thing is, think of it, you know, I mean, I haven't given you enough time to kind of get your notes together, my yeah, learned yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it is, I suppose, is it your opening bit to the jury or is it your closing? This is this is the bit I'll be practicing in the bogs before I go in. Okay. Okay. So, so is, <laughs> it, is, it, is it your opening argument? It's going to be. Closing? It's going to have to be the opener. Opening argument. It's going to okay. have to be the opener. So Nishkin's right, opening argument right. uh, for the barbecue. I uh, and over to you, my learned friend. Your fourth <laughs> starting now. It's a beautiful summer's evening, and you want to recreate that wonderful smoke from an Indian street market. And how do you do that? And it is so simple. It is an an Indian leg of lamb ran. It is a a really spectacular way of barbecuing a leg of lamb. This, the rub is really, really simple. 20 seconds gone. 20 seconds gone. Okay, really, really simple rub. So it is turmeric, garlic paste, ginger paste, cumin powder, whatever brown spices you may have in powder form in your cupboard, lob them on, rub it in with a bit of oil and then slightly tent it over in foil. Get it on your barbecue on a sort of medium low heat. You've got seven seconds left and you haven't Put, given me a side dish. In. And the side dish is going to be, <laughs> are you joking, green chilli and chive potato salad. That was disastrous. 47, that's good. No, it was, I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it was that poetic. Was dis- it was poetic. I was transformed onto an Indian street market. Then we lost our way and I was in Asda's. In the <laughs> Do you know the kind of cooking that I do, and you'll get this, the kind of shows that I do, you've got six whole minutes. Six whole yeah, minutes. exactly. Do you know what I mean? That's how my mind works. Exactly. Six minutes, not not 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to get some lessons off Gwok. Exactly. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but I mean, I, I, I do, I love that whole thing. It's funny because I think that everyone's attitude to barbecuing has changed. And I don't know whether, I mean, our hospitality industry is great because now we love an outside space, no matter whether you're sitting by a bus stop or you're sitting in a, in a beautiful kind of view over the sea. And I almost feel because of that, that we've become more adept and more interested in, in cooking outside as well as eating outside. And, you know, there are, I mean, you think about the Jamies and the Jimmies and and honestly, there's, it's a great credit to many of those chefs that have been doing that sort of outside yeah. work to make that look achievable yeah. and, and unisex, actually. I think, I still think it's seen as the male domain. Yeah. I think it's interesting that of all the chefs that you cited, it's Angela that feels she's not good. It's a, a that that whole barbecuing, that fire gazing, yeah. drag deer to fire and cook kind of thing. I just want <laughs> women to own that a bit more. It's really interesting. So, so just, you know, in terms of dynamics, yeah. if I 
I like because I'm a control freak in the kitchen and in every way. Every way. Barbecue's on. I would want to. I'd want to be the one. And so many guests yeah. would comment, "Why is it me that's doing the barbecue and not Zolly?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it's just yeah. I, it's dead interesting, yeah. isn't it? You know. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of proved that point really well because you said, like, you know, I want to. I drag deer to fire, so you decided to cook celeriac. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe why? Yeah, let's go back thirty years. Yeah, was it wild or farmed? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> It was noisy. <laughs> All right. So before we go on, I just want to let you know about a special offer we've got for you at Weber.com forward slash grilling. If you want to improve your skills on the barbecue, Weber are offering you a discount to attend one of their grill academies. Now, that's where you learn to dazzle your friends with your barbecuing expertise by learning from serious masters of the art. And they are. I mean, the people that teach these courses are just off the scale. The offer is valid for grill academies in the UK. Enter the code GRILLING21, that's GRILLING21, before the 15th of October at Weber.com and get £50 off when you book two tickets on a course. You can find all the information you need at Weber.com forward slash grilling. Now also, the Weber website's a good place to find a host of tips for barbecuing in all weathers and seasons and a fantastic range of recipes, whole roasts, superfood stews, you name it, it's there. So back to your life. So so the itch is you got a response in five minutes from Jamie Oliver. What did you ask him? Not him. It was his agent. His agent. So, okay. yeah, so what happened is, is that while I was a barrister, I used to teach Indian cooking. So what I realised, Simon, is that while, so while I was a barrister, I realised that there is a formula in Indian cooking. I remember one night I wrote down all the recipes of my mother and my auntie because I thought if I cark it, I want to be able to pass these on to the girls yeah. so they can always taste my chicken curry, my dal. And I remember I was in the attic and I was typing them all out and I saw this golden thread appear through the recipes and it was a real Archimedes moment, a real epiphany. And every curry is based on three spices. And I've written a book on the basis of this. Every curry is founded on just three spices, two of which never change, turmeric and chilli and everything, to the point that Indians don't even bother saying that. If you ask my mum for a recipe, she'd never say turmeric and chilli because you just got to know that that's what's in it. (laughs) But what she would cite is the head note, that main spice that changes depending on whether you're cooking brassica, root veg, meat, fish, whatever, That, that head no spice will change. Fish, it's nigella seed. Meat, it's garam masala, for instance, that kind of thing. So I put together, I thought, my God, this is amazing. So I wanted, I wrote a book and I didn't know how to publish a book because I was a full-time barrister. So I went in front of Jamie Oliver's Italy book that I had, Googled some names. One of them was an agent, sent her the proposal for a book with a little video explaining it. And within about five minutes, got this email back. And that was the point at which, honestly, in life, you push doors. And the ones that are not, like my medical door, was not meant yeah. to open. I would never have met you, would I, yeah, if I'd have gone, you know, yeah. unless you came in with a fracture. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or a rash. Well, that rash. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting Where for did that. we go? You know, when you just kind of know where this is leading. <laughs> I could I could see it the minute you said with the fracture. She's not going to be satisfied with that at all, is she? That was cleared up. No, anyway, thank you. Thank God. Yeah. God. Thank you, brother, for those, those, those tablets. They're yeah. really good. <laughs> <laughs> so it is his life, you know, the, these doors that are meant to open. And that door is a really weird thing because I'd slightly just touched it with a finger yeah. and it pounced open. And I, I remember sitting on the swing in the garden thinking, it really floored me. I thought, my God, am I meant to go down this route? It was a really scary because I had a great job and I had a yeah. job that paid the mortgage and I had a great trajectory and it was security and all of those things. And I remember thinking, am I really being ushered down this alternative additional route? And it, what year are we on here, Nick? We're on about 1990, let me think. So we're on about 2010. Here. Okay, right. 2011, 12, something yeah. like that. And that's how it kind of started. So I started doing, so because I had this agent, which is an incredible thing, I got my first book published and started slowly. I, I call myself a curry evangelist. That's I remember the first time I met you was, yeah. you know, was how you described yourself. And I, I think it's a really, really good, because I mean, you're still evangelical about it, but I think that that first time and you touch it, it's funny, always when people have those, those key moments, then they come to life. And when you started talking about that, you know, that whole thing about the three spices, mm-hmm. et cetera, then your whole world lights up. Yeah. God, I love it so much. Yeah. And you know, this is the thing about TV and doing, you know, and doing food is that you forget you, you are just, and that you've got to really think about why am I doing this? Why am I doing TV? Why do I do what I forget the restaurants? What was the first telly you did? I'm not, honestly, it's probably you. I'm I'm not kidding you. It was probably something like you. I used to do Lorraine, but I think you had me before. Yeah. I I seem to, I seem to think we might've been, 
the first because I'd, I'd eaten in Mo. Anyway, we're, we're yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. around here. We're, yeah. we're going in that world that I go on all the time when I'm on with friends. You know, you yeah, have yeah, yeah. I have a conversation <laughs> with friends where you go, "Remember that time?" Remember that? And everyone listening going, "We've no idea what you're yeah. talking about." Yeah. Okay, so so, no, they, they right, so, so but it might well have been something like something. You know, yeah. it was it was an incredible thing, and I remember that feeling of absolute anxiety in the same way before a case, and then the cameras come on and you are there simply, and you must always. I must always remember this. I'm there as a curry evangelist. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's not about the, the dress that I'm wearing or how funny I am. I don't need to be fun. I don't need to be any of those things. I just need to teach people. Good how. job, eh? Good job. I tell you what. Oh my God, the pressure. I'm imagine like, if a you sense had, of humor. Be funny and genuine, oh, a nice dear. dress. God. Your career would be over. <laughs> I love what you do to my self-esteem. You like me, mother? <laughs> what were you wearing? You looked like a slag, huh? <laughs> I got that this morning as well. <laughs> Just Did she? Oh, she's so critical. She's really? brilliant. She's brilliant. I love your mum. She's she brilliant. says, it's nice, Nisha, but just don't turn to the side because you look like a house side. <laughs> so she, but honestly, I'm surrounded by people that are very honest in that way. Which is, which is great. Okay, so, 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 go on. So, 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 so you so, did tell it. Yeah, so, yeah. so the camera comes on and then you just realise that that's what you're doing and it is the, the most pleasurable, easiest thing in the world because you're talking about that brilliant. total passion. Yeah. yeah. Mowgli then. Yeah. How did that come back? So your first restaurant. So my first restaurant. So obviously um, I used to teach and I realised that people were really kind of addicted to the food that I was teaching. And it's not it's not like a jail phrase in a booner and all of that. This is about how Indians eat at home. It's and fantastic people, food. Oh, you are so kind to it say that. It's so true. It means the world for you to say it's that. You don't so have to true. say that. Yeah, I, but you know I mean it. I love your pizzas as well. Oh, bless you. Thanks. I, I did. I had to go to Mowgli the other night because your Rudy's wasn't open. I know. <laughs> Sorry. So that's the truth. You're in a green shirt, by the way. I haven't, no, because it's too far. It's Didsbury, isn't it? Yeah. That's like an hour and a half. Well, we're in London now, so you can manage to do that. But you... No, you do. I know, I know, I know. It's great. That's yeah. the thing, isn't okay. it? Oh, anyway, so, so, I would so, love so, to go. So how did yeah. Mowgli come about? So Mowgli came about because I realised that this is what, you know, people really wanted to do. And I thought, if I hadn't, if I'd been addicted to this food for 50 yeah. years, maybe others would be. Yeah. You know, and so I thought about going and having a little stall yeah. where I just served three curries and and chapatis. That's it. Three curries and chapatis. No one would have me. No one would let me open a stall because they thought I was having a midlife crisis. The banks wouldn't lend to me. <laughs> Liverpool wouldn't wouldn't touch me. You know what I mean? They did. They just thought, well, who the hell are you? You've got no covenant strength. You've got no pedigree. Yeah. Who what? Who are you? Who yeah. are you? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I that sort of didn't happen, but. This is the thing about entrepreneurism, and you might feel it as well. This thing, Mowgli, came alive. I swear to you, you try and sleep. I had a great job. I didn't want to give it yeah. up. And this thing would pull on your sleeve, waking you up until you'd given birth. It's crazy. Yeah. So I found this tiny little venue in Bowl Street where nothing was happening, really. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the thing is now, I think for anybody who is who is not from Liverpool, who's ever been to Liverpool, Bowl Street now is very vibrant. It has a great nighttime economy. But when you open Mowgli, then it, there was... Leaf was there and Marie yeah. wasn't even there. It was just yeah. really nothing. Yeah. It was the only place that I could afford is yeah. the point. So it was an old Chinese shop, uh, restaurant and it was literally the only place that would have me. But the research, so I still, as a barrister, I'd finish in court, you know, take my wig off and then I'd go and put a hard hat on and I physically built that first restaurant. Yeah. I used to then run food. The only time I'd see the kids is if they were brought into the building site to see me. You worked two jobs. You worked. Yeah. But it was, it was this thing that just drove me that, look, want to sort of yeah you know really tell people how it is we really eat was, was it successful from day one it was successful from day one which is a miracle yeah and it's not a miracle because i i remember go before i knew you i remember going and eating there because some friends of mine had sort of said you've got to go to this and it was it, it's funny because now there's a lot more if you like indian street food uh, around but when you did it you did book the trend for what was available for Indian cuisine, particularly in the Northwest. Yeah, it's, you've never told me that before. That's amazing. I yeah. mean, it's amazing that you say that. And do you know what, Simon? Honestly, I don't ever stop and think I'm, I've done well, I've opened it. Are you only as good as your last curry? You Always, yeah, yeah. Truly, you're only as good as your last yeah. bomb. So I love that you love it, but you could go in tomorrow and have a crap meal and, and it would be over for Mowgli. Do you know what I mean? I don't ever nah. rest on my... No, but it's true. And but I know what you mean. I mean, that, yeah. that's the nature of hospitality, is it? Like, you know, I've had greens for 31 years and, and still, if one person has a bad meal in a week there and messages me, it breaks my heart. Oh, more so than the other people around and say, oh my God, that's the most amazing food I've ever had. Yeah, because that's the nature of yeah. wanting to be successful and, and continue to grow. There's also humility on your part to feel like that. It really is, and that's it. 
you know, it's having that circumspection that sh- that's why you've been going for 30 years because yeah. you're humble enough to actually care about what people think. It's really hard as Indians, you know, because my food is from my area. It's uh-huh. food that my ancestors ate. If you are from the Punjab, you probably will hate Mowgli. If you're from a certain area of India, you will hate it because my curries are quite sweet mm-hmm. and they're not super hot. Um, so it's, uh, and those, and I'm the same. My gosh, I just don't eat in Indian restaurants because I will go. And if it's not someone that is from my absolute region that comes from the same lineage, I can taste it. In so what is your region then? Well, we're Bengali. Okay. So we're Bengali, but it's not just the area. It's the religion. My father was a Hindu priest. So it's that Ayurvedic Brahmin Bengali way of cooking. Okay. Oh my gosh. It is so complicated and you can taste. So we are. Sort of many dishes don't have onion and garlic in them because that is forbidden in Ayurveda. I remember you telling me remember that. Remember that. Asafoetida. you use in place. Now, the thing yeah. is, many Indians always have garlic in their dal yeah. and we just don't. And so if you're used to, of course, if you're used to that hit, it doesn't taste like your nans, so we hate you for it. <laughs> that is the, That is how it works in the Indian. I kid you not. It doesn't taste like my nans, therefore you are useless. And I'm going to yeah, get yeah. on Twitter and tell you how useless you are. Yeah. So I always say Mowgli is not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. And and you remain humble to the fact that, you know, it is the cup of tea for many people, thank God. And yeah. we always need to remain that. But yeah. you are literally only as good as that worst critic, as, <laughs> you yeah. know, in, in a way. So yeah. Mowgli started in that way, really, 2014, and now I'm building my 18th restaurant, which is incredible. Wow. Incredible, really. So when when did when did the decision come? Because you're you're an ambitious, clever woman. When did you make the decision? Because the thing is, like, you know, for anyone who isn't involved in the restaurant industry, you can have one site sale open another, and then open another. And I found with our business, because we're, we're similar scale businesses on a similar sort yeah, of e- expansion with the exception mm. of greens. And you find you hit the point where you go, right, okay, we've got five now. If I want to do more, I can't do six because I don't have the back of house ability to do it. So therefore, if I'm going to invest in having HR and recruitment and blah, blah, blah. I need to make a commitment to do 10, 12, 15, 20. So when did you know that, you know what, this is a beast that needs to grow? Mm. Well, it's very interesting. But when did I know it was a beast that needs to grow? So it was grow. So when I built Mowgli, I never thought I'd, I, I took a two year lease because I thought we'd fail within two years. I still decorate Mowgli still so that I can turn her into a coffee shop tomorrow. So if you go into any Mowgli, you will not know it's an Indian restaurant. You won't. No, that's very true. turn it into a yeah. coffee shop. That's how humble yeah. I still am to the fact that we could fail. When did I think I could do more than one? So I don't have a marketing, PR, social media department. It's all me. Before I started Mowgli, I put the idea out to social media. And social media is how I build my restaurants. People say, will you come to Newcastle? Will you come to London? Will you come to this town, that town? And I honestly will go and look around. Interesting. That's how I do it. So that's how I knew that people wanted me in Manchester. Yeah. And then how I know people wanted me in Sheff- in Sheffield, in Nottingham, in Cardiff. But, but, but from a financial point of view, I mean, I kind of I kind of get that. But from the business side yeah, of yeah, things, yeah. okay, at what point, because the thing is, like I say, you hit a point where you hit critical mass, you go, I can't continue to just open restaurants. I have to, the structure of this business has to change. I have to say that for us, it's been very organic. We're a really nice lean head office. I'll tell you what's interesting about Mowgli is that remember I'm the exec chef, so I train all my my, my chefs. Yeah. It means, what it means, Simon, is amazing because I, I can take somebody from a KP kitchen porter to a head chef in two years 18 months yeah. two years, and they're Do, same thing with greens we've always right. done that and it's brilliant and that's where you get the flex yeah. and that's where you get the ability to march quickly and so we don't i don't have necessarily indian chefs i don't recruit on the basis of somebody being indian i recruit on the basis of them not knowing how to cook curry yeah and loving food because then I will plait you neurologically into the shape I want you. If you come with the trimmings, <laughs> well, I of like love nepo- that. Honestly, I it's love really that. important. No, sorry, because if you come, you should have been a doctor. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, there's time yet, love. I'm only fifty. <laughs> there's time yet. I love that. That is that is the best description of how to build your business yeah. ever. I will plait you neurologically, <laughs> neurologically into the way I want you to be. That's yeah. amazing. Do you like that? But isn't I'm quite sinister. I know it's <laughs> but I know that if I went to work in an Indian kitchen, I would mess with the spicing to make it taste like my mum's. Of course I you would. would. Yeah. So I don't want that. I want people that just love food and want to learn how to cook curry. And if you learn it from me and then go and open your own Indian restaurant, good on you. Yeah. Good on you. I'm not bothered. So that's why it can be quite an organic growth. So I think, okay, I'm going to go to Glasgow, which I am. Yeah. First of all, my own teams will say, right, some of us will go up there. So you get some of your own teams. Yeah. But also it means that I can just go up there and hire anyone, train them 
you can you can hire really easily into into a Mowgli workspace, and we've just been voted, which is amazing. You know, in, into the top one hundred companies to work with, we absolutely lavish them. Yeah. We lavish them with love and cash and everything. You know what I mean? They get a really good life. So it when you can recruit and hire easily, it means the world can very quickly sort of become your oyster. I, I won't overgrow though. I grow to about four a year, so I usually grow. You know, four. So how, what what's What's the maximum? Where do you think you kind of go, okay, we've hit... Or, or do you yeah. hit the point where you kind of go, it's time for me to stop doing this and let somebody else do it? Do you mean me or Mowgli? Do you think time to pull Mowgli? Oh, okay, that's, that's very yeah. good. Oh, thing, you're, yeah. yeah, I suppose yeah. I suppose I mean Mowgli. Mowgli. But I suppose your involvement in Mowgli by the same token. Well, you look at brands, you know, you look at Greg's, you look at yeah. the Mackey's, you look at these brands that have marched through, it feels, eternity, yeah. and there is still a demand for them. Um, and whatever we might think about what they do to your body, so let's put that aside. There are business models, same for you. That yeah, you it's, it, yeah. You this is this is about business grow. rather than yeah. necessarily what you yeah, do. Yeah, talking about business then. And and I, there's all our food is cooked fresh on site. You know, we don't cook with cream. It's all completely fresh ingredients, and it's it's light and it's healthy. So in terms of conscience, I don't think there should be a limit. I would like to see people eat more lentils and more chickpeas mm-hmm. and more, you know, tea steeped, you know, potatoes or whatever. Yeah. I want to see the majority of our menus meet. The majority of yeah. our menus meat free. I want people to eat that. I am a curry evangelist. Yeah. So this is the best vehicle for my evangelism is honestly, look what you can do with red lentils. You don't need the meat. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the more people I can convert to tangled greens and temple dal, I don't want to stop marching. I don't want Mowgli to stop growing. She will stop when people don't want her anymore. And you pretty quickly know when that happens. So your sales yeah. go down. Your sales go down and you start having to borrow. To, to survive and you start having, you know, all of these terrible business decisions. I have another job that I could do. I could go back to the bar. Do you know what I mean? Would you? No, I think I'd um, I'd just walk the dogs and stuff my face. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I think I could, you know, I could retire. I've worked really hard since, honestly, I kid you not, from the age of 10. Yeah. I have worked all my life. And and I'm 50 soon. Well, so now, now you're as yeah. you are, because you sort of said that, you know, Mowgli's food fundamentally is your food. You, you're the exec chef. How do the recipes or how do the, the 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 menus develop now then there's no development of the menus it's me everything is me so here's the thing these are the 50 dishes call it that i have lived on and not tired of nor have my ancestors for thousands of years right so why should Ormskirk? do you know what i'm saying yeah and and honestly this is what i realize there are certain restaurants that you go to and you know i'm going there because i want the pig's ears and chili sauce. Yeah, or yeah. I'm going there because yeah. I want your salami pizza. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I'm not going to, I go to Rudy's and there's one pizza I'll have. I won't yeah. have the other. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just mad. It's just the way yeah, we yeah. are. I go to Nando's and I have a half piri piri medium sauce, chip. Don't get me anything else. I'm not interested in how great that menu is. I just yeah. want that one dish. That's the thing about Mowgli is that you find a, there is a dish that you're addicted to and people do not want you to mess with it. Do you know what I mean? What's, a, what's the most popular dish? Well, I catch you in ranking order. I should tell you number one is chat bombs, number two is mother butter chicken, number three is gunpowder chicken, number four is the paneer, number five is the house lamb curry. So I know it by that. Okay. So chat bombs. I eat all of those. Do you? Is that your order? <laughs> is that basically your order? <laughs> no, gunpowder chicken is my, my fave. Really? Oh, oh my God, that's amazing. Me. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. And that's crazy, isn't it? The reason yeah. I... I remember taking my. Because, Nisha, you are. A very humble person. I remember taking my team from Greens for their Christmas suit to Mowgli, and you were so panicked. Yeah, yeah. And you said, "I wish you hadn't told me you were doing it yeah, because you were really panicked." Yeah. It was amazing. I would freak it was amazing. Out if I still know if I, if I know you're in, I freak out. I do. Freak yeah, out, yeah. It, I do any yeah, yeah. no because it's it's like you come into my house. Honestly, it's like you come into my house, yeah. and if you didn't like it, you'd. That's a reflection on me, and you'd go off me, and you wouldn't have me on the podcast when, some, when somebody <laughs> <But> else cancelled. <laughs> Someone better cancel. Never, because what you do is exciting. It remains, it remains exciting, it, you know, and it, and it really, really does. Do you think though that that it is about keeping that desire and passion? I'm not saying that you will ever lose it, but say for whatever reason, if the trends of food in the UK change, and I think this about my own business. This is a question yeah. that sort of keeps me awake at night. You think, mm. what happens if people go off what I do? You know, do I then do I then continually bleat on about it, or do I have to go? You know what? Enough is enough. It's time to kind of like you know put the for sale sign up and get out. I'm I you know it's like celebrity, isn't it? And you look at some of the sort of F lifters, listers or whatever who had the oxygen of, of fame and then are desperately trying to cling on to it. Yeah, there's nothing more no tragic, I, agree. I think. Yeah, and I think it's the same with anything. I think you know that you 
to, you, you know, shake the dust from your feet and move on to that next door that you're meant to press open, whether that is. Yeah. Honestly, the menopause and retirement, I don't know what the next door is, yeah. but I have enough faith to know that there are other doors that are going to open to me. You know what I mean? Hip do, replacements, do, oh, do, the world's my oyster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do, do you find as well, I mean, like, you know, you, you, are, you are a lady of a certain age. Mm. Do you find as well that whatever happens now, you kind of think, you know what, this has been great and I'm happy for whatever happens to happen. Now, obviously, I don't mean if things fail because they won't fail for you. But what I mean is you sort of think now, I'm content being me. Yeah. Therefore, if there has to be a different me, then I know I'll find it. Don't you think that lockdown taught a lot of us that? I oh my think goodness, for the, for, yeah. Do you feel that? I feel for the first time I looked at a, a horizon that wasn't completely cluttered with, with work. And I don't even think of Mowgli as work. Have you ever seen Alan Partridge? Do you like Alan yeah. Partridge? Do you know that, that episode where he goes into that man's house who's obsessed with yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's pictures of him. Yeah. That is what it is like inside my head and Mowgli. Yeah. So my head is wall-to-wall Mowgli. I do all the social media. I don't switch off yeah. ever. I finished reading my restaurant reports at two in the morning yeah. and get up at the next morning. I don't sleep till I've read every single one. I am obsessed with her. I love her. She's like yeah. a daughter of mine, you know. Yeah. So, But for the first time when she closed down for a year in lockdown, I discovered walking. I've never... I don't walking the outdoors in those like muddy boots and all that twang <laughs> twang around the brown country so I'm not interested for the first time I discovered that walking the dogs just things like in fact what I did do through lockdown is cooked every day I love cooking I love yeah. cooking I love yeah. to get the chopping board out and I'm happy yeah, with the dish rice yeah. you know so it's that and I realised that actually if you took everything away and I could walk the dogs I mean it's an amazing thing to be able to do that yeah. even honestly because my mum's bad with her legs at the moment you really appreciate I'm not being trite here but honestly what it is to be able to walk yeah, to, be able to get up and go and so yeah. what I which, which funny that, with lockdown I, I sort of said to quite a few people I've fallen in love with cooking again they're saying what do you mean you fall in love with the cooking it's what you do all the time I said, but there's a difference there's a difference between restaurant cooking which I adore and I love it as a professional and I'm driven by it. But I fell in love with just cooking, just making me tea. Simon, that's us. That's proof of the pudding, isn't it? Yeah. I think that is proof of and I was pleased with how yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Don't you find that? You you know, you look and it's that clever using cheap, knackered, half-dead ingredients yeah. and cooking for a family of six or four or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? You get I thought you were referring to me then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> cheap, knackered, half-dead ingredients, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> the future's bright for us all, isn't it? <laughs> all right, listen, our final thing that we do in the podcast. So um, we get our guests to take our listeners to somewhere in the world that is sort of special to them. Now, it can be a restaurant, but the ones that we've loved the most have been things like a little coffee shop or, or a pastry shop, or it might be an open food market somewhere. It can be anywhere in the world. I mean, sometimes people have given away their secret spaces, which they've not really wanted to do, but they've, they've actually done it. Where are you taking us to? So difficult. Do you want me to do it in a poetic way as well? Because I'm really rubbish at that, it would appear. Well, no, no, you, you, you can... You can you... Do you know, well, I mean, if this is about secret spaces where I like to go and eat, and I think most cities have them, these kind of weird, really authentic, uncompromising Shishwan restaurants. So there's a place in Liverpool called Mr Chili, uh-huh. down a back alley. It I don't know where that is. mainly of vomit and um, broken glass outside. The alley. The alley. <laughs> and Mr Chili is this really authentic, and I do mean it when I say uncompromising, it's quite hardcore Shishwan food. So it will be things like pig's ears in a chili oil that I mentioned yeah. earlier. It would, they've got all the intestines and things. I love weird, do you see? But it's also things like, you know, the things that the, the Chinese do with just slithered potatoes with green chili. Mm. You know, that yeah. those dishes that you just do not associate with Chinese food at all. And what I love about it, and the word hardcore has got some meaning here, hasn't it? Because that's what you put in, in the foundations. Yeah. These are the f- true foundations of Shishwan food that they haven't veered from because of. Western yeah. tastes, they have stuck to them. So you go in there, you get the Chinese menu, and you get that weird, you know, the gizzards and the heart. Yeah. Oh, God. So I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm even saying this now to the public, but I love that. And I, I, I really... That's brilliant. It is, but how many people must be ordering that? Me, basically. Yeah. Just me yeah, and yeah. some other weird. Can we go next oh, time we're Oh, my God, please, will you go? text me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Promise me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to do it because I don't know anything about yeah. all of that. I'm always a bit scared of it. Yeah. You know, even as a chef, I'm a bit scared of it. So yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful one. It is because, you know what, there's some phrases in, in other languages that we need to understand as chefs. So in Indian, we would say that that's, you know, it's a playful and same in Chinese, these yeah. playful textures and you just think about it differently gizzards are a playful texture gizzard curries yeah. are the best curries so so sorry to freak your listeners out but the truth no, is I'm that's the way the world is please says me there's one in the Seveni in London as well near Waterloo Seveni 
Google it, go there and get the weird stuff. It is <laughs> to die for. And it's not always intestines and stuff. It's things that they do. Oh, my gosh, they do this pumpkin curry with egg yolk. Pumpkin and wow. egg yolk. Simon, you've got to go to Savenny and order the pumpkin okay, with the egg yolk, please. Okay. Right. <laughs> Advert for but yeah, amazing. But those restaurants that are truly authentic, you know, they they keep their head down and they do what they do it, from the ancient roots best. I really think they need honouring, you know. And uh, yeah, so lovely, fantastic, brilliant, brilliant. It's, it's it's always a joy to spend time with you. You know, we've become very good friends over the years. And you're always kind of full of good stories and you articulate so incredibly well. Obviously, your your training as a barrister is brilliant. And your mum is one of my favourite people. I always love her to bits when, whenever I see her. So do give her my love when I you get back home. I will do that. Um, thank you for coming on to Grilling. And um, good luck because you're going to do what I've just done. You're going to open your first London restaurant yeah. in a while, which for us Northerners, that's a big one, is it? It's a proper Dick Whittington moment when we do that. It is. And I think the press are going to hate us and we've just got to ride it through because how dare we? How dare we stick our head above the parapet? Should stick to the north. So I think we're just going to have to get through. And and this is it. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's whether the people like us or not. They're going to love it. They're going to love it. Nisha, always good to see you. Take nice care. To Lots you. of love. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anisha, for joining us on Grilling. I mean, what, what a story. And of course, you can't forget the fact that her mum is the most important person in the whole structure of her life. Uh, hopefully, we've given you a few ideas as to what's possible in the kitchen and on a Weber barbecue. Head to Weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas, from racks of lamb to salads and, of course, ribs. Don't forget, check out that £50 discount to their grill academies at Weber.com forward slash grilling. Do review, rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and tell your friends about us too if you like what you hear, which hopefully you do. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. I'm Simon Rimmer. Thanks so much for listening. Listener.